Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash Great Detectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. As our listener support campaign begins, and you can support the show on an ongoing basis by becoming one of our Patreon supporters at Patreon.GreatDetectives.net. After today's episode and our uh, post-episode commentary, we'll talk about uh, this year's listener support campaign. And also a special offer for those of you who have small businesses and would like to take advantage of our advertising options at advertise.greatdetectives.net. And then we will talk about our plans for Monday during our upcoming 15th season. But now let's get into this week's episode of Sam Spade. The original air date... February 16th, 1951, and the title is The Soap Opera Caper. The National Broadcasting Company presents The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Detective Agency. Me, sweetheart. Was it awful, sir? Excruciating. If I suffered, girl, how I suffered. Oh, but there's no other way, sir. Hmm? When fate turns against a man. True, dear one, true. But from somewhere I must find strength. You must. You must. To pick up the shattered fragments of my life. To raise my eyes once again to the horizon and piece by piece put them together again. <laughs> and the two of us, dear one, hand in hand, shall go marching down the years together. Oh, Brace yourself, sweetheart. I'll try, Sam. Gather together the homely, humble tools of your trade. Find six dry handkerchiefs and prepare to greet me with a smile behind the tears. I'll be down before you can change stations with a report entitled, The Soap Opera Caper. For NBC, William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, brings you the greatest private detective of them all in The Adventures of Sam Spade. Sam? Who calls, young widow Perrine? Plain F. Is it all over, Sam? Is a soap opera ever over, dear one? Oh, but it's not on the phone like you... I know, I know, but it's not the end. It's never the end. Pull up a chair now, take a firm grip on pad, pencil, and your emotions. (laughs) Got him? I'm at the ready, Sam. Good show. Mm-hmm. To Agatha Pilbeam, from Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Subject, the soap opera caper. How was I to know what was on her mind? This strange woman, this mysterious Agatha Pilbeam, this voice on the telephone directing me to the big, sprawling house in Hillsborough. Is that clear, Mr. Spade? How urgent is it, Miss Pilbeam? Very, very urgent, Mr. Spade. I, I don't know which way to turn. So I went to the big, sprawling house in Hillsborough, pulled up behind an ancient Model A parked at the curb, and was walking past it toward the gate when... Why, 
Huh? Oh, oh, Crock Morton, isn't it? <laughs> Good old Sammy, you remember. Yeah, yeah. When'd you get out? I, I, oh, last month. But mm-hmm. I'm a good boy now. Here, take one of my cards. Yeah, if you know anyone who needs a first-class private eye, Crock's available. Uh, what are you doing here, Sam? The lady wants to see me. The soap opera queen? Is that what she is? Sure, six or eight of them she writes. Hmm? Uh, behind the clouds, mm-hmm. the heart of Julia Jukes. Life, uh, oh, I forget the rest. Yeah. Beats gumshoe and Sammy. Yeah, well, write if you get work, Crock. <laughs> I'm on a job right now. I mean, you got your license already? Oh, me? Well, I... Well, you can always run off a photo status someone else's. Oh, oh Sam, that's mean. Crock was a crook, but a nice crook. He never killed anybody. He was just an uncurable camera fiend, specializing in taking pictures of people doing what they hadn't ought to be doing, you know, stuff like that. Or if you wanted a photostat of somebody else's document, Crock was your man. Well, I walked up the drive to the door, threw it past a white shirt front that turned out to have a butler in it, and toward what seemed to be your study. But it wasn't. It was your bedroom, and you were reclining on six pillows with a cigarette in a long holder in one hand and a mouthpiece of a dictating machine in the other. But, John, hush, Melinda, there is no way to go now but ahead. John, you're so strong. I need you. I need your courage. We must face this thing together, Melinda. The organ what was Veronica a phonograph playing in her ear. I waited for an opening, but there just wasn't any, don't so I had to interrupt. John, don't even uh, Miss uh, don't Pilbeam. Don't Melinda. We if, can't run if, away from life. Uh, we must approach this Miss Pilbeam? Calmly, uh, Melinda. Uh, uh, beg your pardon. Oh, uh, just a minute. Oh. My mood music. I see. Uh, I'm Sam Spade, Miss Pilbeam. You come. Come sit beside me, Mr. Spade. Well. It's time we talk things over. Well, thanks. Oh, maybe you'd better start at the... When a woman reaches 40, Mr. Spade, she comes to lean upon her man. Oh? To look upon him not just as someone to cherish, but as a source, a spring, a fountain of strength. Mm -hmm. Are you still dictating? I'm talking about me, Mr. Spade. Oh. Whom can I turn to? Whom? I grope, I flounder in the darkness, I cry out, I listen in vain for an answer. But there is none. Well, you always have a better chance of getting an answer when you ask a question. What do you mean? What are we talking about? What indeed? Well, I haven't caught the show lately. You'll uh, have to bring me up to date. Why don't you run through the announcer's part, will you? You know, right after the organ when he says, uh, when we left Julia Jukes yesterday... I'm sorry, I thought I told you on the telephone. No. For many days now, I've seen somewhat of a strange new look on my husband's face. Husband? Dr. Martin Hawke. Oh, you're married. I thought it was Miss Agatha Pilbeam. Well, two years ago today, I met young Dr. Hawkes and married him. Life became beautiful, a gay laughing thing, a road to happiness. And then... Then? A cloud passed over the sun. Martin became moody, silent. I tried to penetrate the shell, but he only drew farther into it. The strange, terrifying crevasse seemed to have opened up between us. Oh. What is it, Martin? I asked him repeatedly. But he'd only stare silently out the window. And finally walked silently from the room. Well, uh, how long did this go on? How, how long a series did you get out of it? For weeks until a few days ago when the final blow fell. Mm. It was evening, and Agatha and Martin were at dinner. Let's look in on them as... Oh, sorry. Mm. We were at dinner when the doorbell rang, and I answered it. It was a telegram from mm. Martin. 
from Mexico. I gave it to him and watched the blood drain from his handsome features as he read it. His hand trembled, his jaw clenched. But you forced yourself to speak. Yes. What is it, Martin, I asked. Tell me, please, for the sake of our love. And he... Looked down at me as if I were a stranger. Then he crumpled the telegram, threw it savagely into the fireplace, and strode silently from the room. Here. Here, I wrested it from the flame. Read it. Thank you. Uh, regret must confirm your worst fears, Cardoza. What is the terrible secret of Martin Hawk? Why did he act so strangely when the mysterious telegram arrived from Mexico? And above all, where is he? You mean he didn't come back? He's been gone for four days, Mr. Spade. I must find him. Now, of all times, I need his love. When a woman reaches forty... I know, I know. What do you mean, now, of all times? In just a week now, since the report came back from the laboratory after my physical examination. Oh. The doctor from Vienna. Mm-hmm. You see, Mr. Spade, I, too, have a terrible secret. Well, uh, don't you want to tell me about it? Yes. I have a very rare, incurable disease. There are only, only six short weeks to live. Less than an hour after his distressing interview with Agatha, our boy Sammy walked into the beautifully appointed office of young Dr. Hawks at 450 Sutter to find his nurse, pretty young Nora Sheldrake, a new character, working at her desk in the reception room. In response to a question from Sammy, we hear Nora saying, I have no idea where Martin has gone, Mr. Spade, but I can tell you why. Tell me, Nora. Please feel free to tell me everything. It's that... that woman, Mr. Spade. Agatha? Yes. Yes, Agatha. Mm -hmm. She never understood Martin. She doesn't understand Martin. She never has tried to understand Martin. Do you hear me? She never has tried. I I take it you don't care for Agatha Pilgrim. I hate her. Nora. I do. I hate her. She thinks her money can buy everything. Even Martin. Well, it won't. She knows that now. Well, calm yourself, Nora. Try and think back now to the last time you saw Martin Hawks. It... It was Monday. Four days ago? Yes. The call came from some legal firm named Bennett and Hatch. Let me write that down. I switched the call into Martin. I was worried for him. I was concerned. I have to admit now I did a terrible thing. Ah, you listened in. I did. They told him his sister was in town, that she was working at some... at some nightclub. and wanted to see him. Uh, what nightclub was this? Let me see. It was the... the Tortuga. Mm-hmm. What else? That's all. They hung up then, and Martin came out. I watched the blood drain from his handsome features. His hand trembled, his jaw clenched. Yes. I'm going out, Nora, he said. If I'm not back, don't worry. That's all. It was so light, Martin.
The Tortuga was only a few blocks away on Post Street, so I walked there. We were just tooling up for the dinner trade when I arrived. I sailed around backstage like Billy Rose on an inspection tour. Found the doorman and showed him the snapshot you'd given me of young Dr. Hawks. Or tried to. Look, young fella, I told you we don't have no dancer here named Hawks. I ain't got no, time Dorman, to... Dorman, please, uh, uh, take a look at the picture. No, I ain't got the... What, picture? What, 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 yeah. 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 Hmm? That fella was here. That Tuesday, uh, there. Uh, Monday night it was. Well, who'd he come to see? There wasn't nobody named Hawks, mister. It was Beth Chardine. Well, bless you, Dorman. Bless you. Uh, bless you, too. Thank you. <laughs> Beth Chardine. Huh? Come in. Oh. I, uh... Close the door, will you? Yeah. Ralphie. Yeah, yeah. Is, uh, is there anything I can... There sure is. Zip me up, Jack. I'm Sam. I don't care if your boy's call off. You got hands, haven't you? Well, Zip me up. Uh, okay. Say when. <laughs> when? Can you breathe? Oh, no. You can't have everything. <sighs> Ow. What's on your mind, Jack? Martin Hawks. Sorry. Never heard of him. Look, we're getting along beautifully up to now, honey. Let's not spoil it. You not only know Martin Hawks, you're his sister. What makes you think What's I that know? card stuck over there in the mirror? Bennett and Hatch, attorneys at law. Aha! Uh-huh. The same Bennett and or Hatch who called Martin Monday afternoon and told him his sister wanted to see him here. Now, what's this all about? Uh, I can't tell you. He got a telegram from Mexico. Mexico? Yeah, that said him something awful. What did it say? Regret must confirm your worst fears. You're dead, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> great. Pretty hilarious, huh? Jackie just ain't got no idea. I got a piece of advice for you, Jack. Oh? Forget about Marty Hawks and live a long and useful life. Mm-hmm. I got a tip for you, too. You're in a tight spot. Watch that zipper, Jack. <laughs> One of the heavier soap opera types Beth was, with a throaty voice and the talent for the smirching reputation. What was the mysterious influence she wielded over young Dr. Hawks? How much did she know about his strange disappearance? What about the cryptic telegram from Mexico City? And what about dinner? The last question I could answer. I stopped at Schroeder's for Sarbrodden and potato pancakes, ran into Larry Mahoney of Homicide, who was off-duty, and we stopped in at a handy alley and bowled until 11. I was walking back down Market Street when I passed the flood building, which reminded me of the firm of Bennett and Hatch, who resided there. As a matter of fact, it looked like they were there right now, since the light was on behind the second floor window with their name on it. Now, the sensible thing would have been to call around nine in the morning, but as I seldom do sensible things, I hustled up the stairs and down the corridor to their office. Someone other than Bennett or Hatch had put in some time, obviously. The drawers of a dozen or more file cases had been pulled out and dumped on the floor. The desk drawers, likewise. And to mark it clearly as the work of a thoroughgoing professional, the safe door was off its hinges. All this took me back to the Model A parked in front of your house this afternoon, Agatha, and I was contemplating same when... Oh. Hello? Manage. Yeah? Good sister, I was scared you wouldn't be there. Try to get your hold. Do it, baby, do it. Pull the string. We'll never make it with this guy. We'll throw, pull the string here. Do it, baby, do it, and make it. Oh. 
Hello? Operator. Operator. Operator! I finally got someone at the Tortuga Club who knew where Beth Jardine lived, an apartment on Russian Hill. I didn't stop to ask which apartment, and when I got there, I found I didn't have to. All right, stand back, everybody! Stand back! Dugan! Uh, oh, hello, Sam. What happened? Dame just knocked herself off. Huh? Jumped from a room on the eighth floor. Stand back, you yahoos! There was no need to, but I looked at her anyway, just to make sure. It was Beth, all right. When she said she was through, she meant it. I was just turning to go, and something big in a tan camel's hair brushed past me and bent over the body. Where is she? Where? Beth! Sister! Beth! Beth! (laughs) I recognized him from the snapshot. Wild-haired, with a four-day's growth of beard on his lean, handsome face. It was Martin Hawks on the verge of collapse. Officer Dugan and I helped him through the crowd toward the ambulance that had just rolled up, sat him on the running board, and began to question him. Uh, what? What was that again? Your name, your name. What's your name? What? My name. Of course, I... I... My name, I... I, I don't know. I don't know my name. It happens to everyone in soap operas, sooner or later. When he filled out the forms on poor Beth Jardine, old Doc Peterson gave Martin a double O, blew his nose, and announced with a twinkle in his eye, Here's to me, like young Dr. Hawks has got himself a case of amnesia. Will the mind of young Dr. Hawks come out of the fog? What does he know about the death of Beth? Was it murder or suicide or both? And what of the mysterious telegram from Mexico City? Will Agatha ever discover the terrible secret of young Dr. Hawks? And will stupid Sam ever discover anything? Before we continue, a word from our announcer. You are listening to the weekly adventure of radio's most famous detective, Sam Spade. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Saturday night is date night, but tomorrow poor Dennis Day has trouble with his girlfriend Gloria. However, Dennis manages to sing his way out of trouble in his charming, boyish fashion. And say, why not let Dennis help your Saturday evening along, too? And for more music and fun tomorrow, there's the Judy Canova Show, starring Judy in a melodic and carefree half-hour of laughs. And Grand Ole Opry with singing MC Red Foley and his special guest, cowboy troubadour Ernie Tubb. Now back to the soap opera caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. It's a half hour later now in the sterile whiteness of a hospital room that the three of us, you, Agatha, I, and old Doc Peterson, gather around the pale, quiet form of young Dr. Hawks. Martin. Martin, speak to me. Huh? I'm... Martin, darling. Uh, who, who are you? Agatha, dear. Your own Agatha. Uh, I, 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 Come, Agatha. 
Better leave him be for now. Becca, I can't go on when a woman really... I know, I know. You've got to be strong, Agatha. Sam, hmm? we better leave him be for now. Well, you're the doctor. Oh, Doc, what could have done this to Martin? Oh, shock sometimes. You don't mean... Yes, I'm afraid I do. Stealing his sister, then? Could be. Or sometimes it's just a matter of a body getting into such a fix his mind backs off and refuses to have any part of it. The wire from Mexico City. Eh? His terrible secret. The strange threat hanging over him and his sister. Driving one to suicide. And the other... The other... Well... No wonder poor Martin gave away before this. Sure, sure. There's still another explanation. How's that, Sam? That he figured amnesia was a nice, easy way not to have to account for what he's been up to for the last four days. Or where he was when the dame took off from the eighth story. Mr. Spade, you're not accusing Martin. There's something buzzing around in his little mind. The nurse tells me she got him into a pair of pajamas and tucked him in nice and cozy before we got here. Well? Yes. Well? You may not have noticed, Agatha, because he pulled the covers up around his neck, but our boy had his clothes back on just now. What? Martin! Hey! He's gone! Indeed he was, was Martin, as we could plainly deduce from the open window and the curtains blowing gently out over the fire escape. Young Dr. Hawks, indeed, had packed up his amnesia, his terrible secret, and his toothbrush, and taken off into the night. So I left you sobbing gently on old Doc's shoulder and found me a phone in a drugstore a safe distance away. On the 48th ring, Bennett of Bennett and Hatch attorneys answered. He was sleepy. I used all my soft answers, and he used all his hard ones, and finally we got to the point. All right, Spade, all right. The Jardine dame left a sealed envelope with us. What was in it? How do I know? It was sealed, marked personal and confidential, to be delivered to the city attorney in the event of my death. Signed, Beth Jardine Hawks. Signed how? Beth Jardine Hawks. Not Beth Hawks Jardine. No, is it important? Just a tiresome detail, Bennett. So she brought you the envelope, paid your fee, and you stuck it in the vault for her. Then what? Well, she had us call her brother and tell him to meet her at the Tortuga. Period. That ended our part of it. We didn't even get our feet wet. On the contrary, Bennett, you're up to your ears. In what? Blackmail. Bye. Which explained many things. To wit, A, the wire from Mexico City from a lawyer named Cardoza. B, the murder of Beth Jardine. And C, the reason for young Dr. Hawk's mysterious flight from the hospital. His mind still fogged with amnesia. It did not, however, explain why stupid Sam had kept Croc Morton's business card in his vest pocket for 21 pages without doing something about it. The address was near 3rd and Howard, not one of the better business sections, even for a private detective. I walked down 3rd Street, past the Sherry and Muscatel joint, looking at numbers, and then discovered it wasn't necessary. The old Model A was pulled up in front of white, what might have been a respectable office building before the earthquake, but now couldn't decide whether to be a warehouse or a tenement. Thus far, a harmonious picture. But behind the Model A was something twice as long and three times as shiny with a motor running. Out of place by about $4,000. Out kind of late, aren't you, Nora? Sam! Nora. Sam! Nora. Uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. Don't reach for the horn. 
But he told me. Sure, and you believed it, like everything else he told you. Come on, get out. I will not get out. Oh, but you will. I'll pull you out by your pretty blonde hair. Come on. You, you, oh. That's it. You can't do this to me, Mr. Spade. Nothing can stop Martin and me. We have our right to happiness. Uh Uh-huh. Just the two of you. Chins up, eyes on the horizon. Let the dead past bury its dead. How can you joke about... It's no joke, believe me. You got taxi fare? Why? Because you're going to get in my cab, go home, put your hair up in curlers, and go to bed. After saying to yourself 1,000 times, what a lucky little girl you are that Martin Hawks didn't shove you out a window, too. Now, scoot. Scoot! It was the kind of a dark stairway that made me yearn for the comfortable feel of a shoulder holster under my left arm. At the top was a three-and-a-half-watt bulb, and at the other end of the hallway, a crack of light under Croc's office door. Between the two was a cat, more's the pity. So abandoning my stealthy approach, I walked up to the door, turned the knob, stuck my hand in my side coat pocket like Edward G. Robinson, and kicked the door open. Croc was sitting at his desk behind a stack of bills. The closet door was just closing softly. Who was in the closet? And did he still have his toothbrush, his terrible secret, and his amnesia with him? Well, Johnny. Yeah. You, uh, you took me up on it right quick, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah, have a chair. I sat on a chair in the corner out of line of the closet door behind the desk. Oh, old Sammy. Mm-hmm. You got a job for me, huh? Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you don't look like you need a job, Crock. Huh? Oh, this? Yeah. Oh, this is nothing. Good day at the track, that's all. What's on your mind? Remember the Blennerhassett job? Huh? The one with the letters before you went up? What are you talking about, Sam? The shakedown, Crock. The dame who wanted you to get the letters back, remember? You know, so you got them for her, delivered and collected after you had the photostats made. Sam, you're, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. I never done no such thing. You can level with me, Crock. You collected on the photostats for eight years. Oh, wait, Sam. What? Well, forget it. Anyway, I got another one. Dr. Martin Hawks. Married to the soap opera queen, you know. What about it, Sam? She's worth a couple of million bucks and has six weeks to live. As her husband, he's her only heir. I spot the being. Yeah. Only he isn't her husband. Huh? Because the Mexican divorced from his first wife, the late Beth Jardine Hawks, wasn't legal, you know. What? She blew in a month ago and began shaking him down after leaving the marriage certificate and a batch of other papers with some lawyers for life insurance. Sam, I, I just ain't interested When you hear the payoff, Croc, it's just like the dame with letters. Oh. What do you mean? Hawks hired someone to crack the lawyer's office and get the papers out of the safe. Some smart guy. Uh, an unfrocked private eye who doesn't have a license. Uh, I found out where he had the photostats made, though. I can get copies. Hey, for crying out loud, shut up. The closet doorknob was turning slowly. I waved him out of the way and picked up the chair. It was all over two seconds after it started. The door flew open. He came out with a terrible secret, which turned out to be a gun. And I wrapped a chair right around his head. So I picked up the gun and Croc and young Dr. Hawks, and we all picked up a ride to headquarters. Only one scene remained to be played in today's exciting episode. Oh, I should try to be brave, Mr. Spade. Sounds like such a cliche now. Good show, Agatha. Good show. Life must go on, you know. Even when a woman... You were born in 1911, I believe. Uh, yes, yes. As I say, life must go on, even when a woman... Reaches... Indeed it must. Indeed it must. We have our happy moments and our sad ones, our pleasures, our trials, our joys, and our heartbreaks. And sometimes, Mr. Spade... Yes? Sometimes at the bottom of our cup of bitterness, 
We find a clue. We do? The laboratory, A mistake, definitely. They got yours mixed up with someone else's, and you have no incurable disease and many years of happiness ahead of you. Yes, Mr. Sage. But happiness? I wonder. Can a woman pass forty whose husband is a convicted murderer find happiness? Alone? Uh, well, uh, good show. Period, end of opera. Oh, Sam. Uh-huh. Sam, I can't wait for tomorrow's episode. I'll be sure to tune in at this very same time, Cherub, and meanwhile, answer me this. What, Sam? How long will it take a woman past 20 to turn out a 25-page report? <laughs> yes, sir. I'll have the answer after a brief word from our announcer. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Tomorrow, Arturo Toscanini will conduct the renowned NBC Symphony in the fourth of a Saturday concert series. For tomorrow's one-hour performance, celebrated Maestro Toscanini has chosen works by Debussy, Respighi, and Edward Elgar. You're invited tomorrow to the NBC Symphony and Toscanini. about other people's troubles. I'm, I'm so grateful to you for the smooth life we have together. Effie. Sam. Effie. Yeah. Effie. Sam. That takes about ten seconds to ask. I'm only nearly a secretary, but... <sighs> over now. Matter of fact, we're ten seconds over. Oh, well, Sam, I, I haven't even your wife to be versus... Nothing but peace and quiet. A fairly regular paycheck. With only a corpse now and then to produce a ripple on the mirror's smoothness of our bliss. Oh, that's beautiful, Sam. Are you soft, You don't have a, a single terrible secret, either. No, but just to keep you interested, dear one, from time to time I shall pick up a piece of paper, read it, let the blood drain slowly from my face, then clasp you to me thusly, holding you close, and just before striding silently from the room, mutter in your shell pink ear. Hello. Good night, Sam. Good night, sweetheart. Adventures of Sam Spade are produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade was played by Stephen Dunn. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. Script for tonight's adventure by Harold Swanton. Musical scoring by Lud Bleskin, conducted by Robert Armbruster. Join us again next week, same time, for another adventure with Sam Spade. Join the magnificent Montague and have fun at Duffy's Tavern on NBC. Welcome back. Well, I actually really enjoyed this episode. One thing I'll say for Sam Spade is that when they surround with their genres, they really commit. I mean, the organ music, the dialogue, the way the plot works out, the doctor getting amnesia, the music. I know, folks, uh, many don't appreciate organ music even in pursuance of this fine parody. But to me, I thought it was absolutely perfectly done. 
And uh, there are also some nice Easter eggs in here if you're a soap opera fan. I caught references to Road of Life, Life Can Be Beautiful, and Right to Happiness, as well as This is Nora Drake. And I'm not a big fan of those soaps, but I've definitely heard of them. And someone who is more into soap operas than I may have caught more. And in terms of the firm of Bennett and Hatch, that's at least partially named after Wilbur Hatch, who did the music for the series. I really have to appreciate the commitment, and I think that Steve Dunn really does well with these sort of absurd scripts. Which does make me wonder at some of the reviewers I read talking about the Stephen Dunn series and saying that with Stephen Dunn as Spade, the series got more serious and grounded. And it's like, have you guys never listened to the prodigal panda caper or the soap opera caper? In many ways, it feels like, in terms of the type of stories being told, you're getting a mix that's very close to what we got during the Howard Duff years. Well, now it's time to talk about listener support. And first of all, I want to thank everyone who supports the podcast. We're now up to 270 supporters on Patreon as well as those who sent one-time contributions through Zelle, or through PayPal, or through the mail. It really is appreciated. And it's also vital to the podcast. And it really has been essential for me being able to do podcasting full-time. Now, of course, the podcast does have ads, and we're grateful for all of those that we've been able to run. But that said, ad revenue is a very variable source of income. The dynamically inserted ads from our host Spreaker, revenue from that varies not only from month to month, but day to day. And depends on the percentage of ad spots that they are able to fill as well as what the going rate is on the market. And those, as I said, can vary from day to day and month to month and goes in cycles. And then, of course, we have other advertising that we do, and we've, it varies as to whether uh, brands are interested in advertising on the podcast specifically. And those vary quite a bit. We've had, so far, seven episodes that were specifically sponsored this year. And we had 11 two years ago, but none at all in 2022. And, of course, there's also YouTube revenue, which also varies, which you can also say for all the other revenue streams that we have. Listener support is such a great blessing and such a great encouragement, and really does help us have a little bit of predictability in our financial situation. And certainly there are many expenses that listener support really helps us to cover. Now, of course, you've got your standard small business expenses, which I won't bore you with, you know, the insurances, the self-employment tax. But then we have research tools, 
and various podcast-related services. And with the launch of the old-time radio snack wagon, we had to work with a lot of freelancers to get that launched. So having that uh, listener support is so critical, and we definitely appreciate everyone who's able to support the podcast on Patreon or with a one-time donation. Now, as a Patreon supporter, there are a few key benefits. First of all, we'll recognize you on the podcast, and of course, we do also recognize one Patreon supporter as a Patreon supporter of the day every episode of The Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. Patreon supporters at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month get access to our premium site, which includes extra episodes and episodes free of dynamic insertion ads. Patreon supporters also get to choose our summer series for the amazing world of radio. And I also send out a monthly Patreon newsletter letting folks know what we're up to and what to to expect in coming weeks, as well as providing a personal update. Uh, Patreon supporters also uh, will get to see some things in advance. And really, uh, with my Patreon supporters, uh, if I've got a question or I'm thinking about doing something, I will tend to reach out to them and find out what they think about it. For example, the first episode of the Old Time Radio Snack Wagon was actually presented for Patreon supporters for their comments and feedback about two months before it was generally released. And also shared cover art, and some of the Patreon comments actually led me to request a revision. So while these things don't happen all the time, uh, Patreon supporters, if there's someone to seek advice from or to share something in advance with, uh, Patreon supporters will tend to be where I will go first. So those are the main benefits. And you can go to patreon.greatdetectives.net, support the program for as little as $2 per month. You can also support the program at support.greatdetectives.net using PayPal or using the Zelle app to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Or if you're on YouTube, you can press the super thanks button and donate that way. And of course, there's also our P.O. Box, Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. Now, in addition, if you would like to buy advertising on the podcast for your small business, during the listener support campaign period, which runs from today through September 17th, If you buy one of our dynamic ads uh, as a small business, we will add 25% more impressions. So if you buy 10,000 impressions for your ad, we will go ahead and have it inserted 12,500 times. Now, of course, our podcast goes out around the nation and the world, but we can target the ads geographically. We did have someone not too far back where we were able to set the ad up so that it ran in three or four specific states. 
Uh, so if that is of interest to you, just go over to advertise.greatdetectives.net to learn more. And again, if you mention the 25% additional, I will add that uh, to your order if you order by the 17th. Well, now let's go ahead and we'll talk about what you can expect on Mondays in Season 15, which starts at the end of October. We'll be finishing up Sam Spade Early in the season, we have 10 more episodes with Stephen Dunn as Sam Spade, which will get us to the first full week in November. Now, we also have something that I just found recently. In a dark corner of the Internet Archive, we have another Howard Duff episode that's really not made it into most of the old-time radio sets and popular websites. It's a home recording, and there are a few bits missing, but the story is complete, and we also have Martin Graham's uh, great Sam Spade book to assist us. So we will have a rare Howard Duff episode, and then we will have one final Maltese Falcon episode adaptation, and then we will get into the adventures of the Falcon. And we'll be featuring the Falcon throughout the entirety of the rest of season 15 and most of season 16. And honestly, I don't know what happens after that because we're out of major programs to play at that point. But more to come, and we'll, we'll we'll work through that. Hopefully, I'll have something to say next year. Now, we're not going to repeat the whole listener support overview discussion in subsequent days, but on Tuesday and Wednesday, we will discuss plans for those days. And on Thursday, we'll also discuss plans for Thursday plus for the old-time radio adventure series, which we're probably going to get into during season 16. Friday and Saturday are going to be pretty much status quo for the foreseeable future, so not any really big need for discussion there. All right, listener comments and feedback now. And we turn to YouTube, where the cloak and dagger caper brought up some lazy Susan memories for several listeners. Kenneth wrote, My grandma had a six-foot diameter kitchen table, and she had a lazy Susan that was three feet in diameter. She placed everything on it, and you would help yourself to what dish was in front of you. This was turned and repeated. And uh, then... Uh, we also have one from Melody who writes, uh, I think there was a big table with a lazy Susan, a turntable tray, and a Lucille V called Yours, Mine, and Ours, or maybe it was Please Don't Eat the Daisies. It was delightful to watch. I enjoyed imagining a cat on a lazy Susan. Uh, well, thanks so much, uh, Appreciate the comment, and if anyone out there knows which movie had the Lazy Susan, I I would definitely appreciate the feedback. And I, I do think that the idea of a cat playing with a Lazy Susan is a delightful picture. Of course, in reality, cats never do what you want them to do. I love my cat, but most toys I buy him, if he uses them once, uh, we're fortunate. That's how I stop myself from getting a lazy Susan for the cat to play with. 
And finally, Amanda writes, My mom always kept her teas on a lazy Susan in the cabinet. Uh, my mother-in-law keeps medication on hers. Oh, yeah, those definitely make sense. I think the closest thing I've had to a lazy Susan was at the townhouse I owned before we moved to our current house, there was a turntable under the cabinets for storage. And that's probably the one time that, like, is a, a turntable or lazy Susan is not a great thing. Because stuff would always fall behind it, you know, fall off the turntable, and, you know, it would be a pain trying to get everything out with that uh, turntable in the way. But I'm glad others have had some better experiences with uh, Lazy Susans and turntables. All right, well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Michelle. Michelle has been one of our Patreon supporters since January of 2022, currently supporting the program at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Michelle. And that will do it for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. If you're enjoying the podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. We'll be back next Monday with another episode of Sam Spade. But join us back here tomorrow for yours truly, Johnny Dollar, where... I made a grave error when Mrs. Forbes pressed me last week to... Well, I could only tell her to move out and divorce him immediately. That's pretty extreme advice, Doctor. I know, but I also know the advice was right. Oh, you aren't in sympathy with me, I can see, but let me tell you that any competent psychiatrist would have advised you the same. I approached her husband on the matter a few days ago. What? I explained to him that Mrs. Forbes' health, her very life, is in jeopardy, that more is involved here than just keeping intact a union which has nothing but legality as a binding force. And Mr. Forbes doesn't care for semantics. He doesn't care for Mrs. Forbes, Mr. Dollar. He ranted and raved and accused me of trying to break up his home, and finally he attacked me. I managed to get away. Did he threaten you then? Yes, he said he'd kill me. Who else was there? What do you mean? Who heard him say these things? Why... Mrs. Forbes was there and a servant in their home. Yes, a servant. Upton's his name, I believe. You should have called the police. I should have done a lot of things differently in my lifetime, but I didn't call the police. My primary concern is for Mrs. Forbes. Further shock and guilt complex could be totally disastrous to her. So are you going to creep around here with a gun in your hand? I don't know whether I'd even know how to use it. I... 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 Now, why the application for all the insurance? Well, I, I wondered if Forbes might get me. I wanted to be sure my mother was taken care of. I, I don't know whether anyone's ever threatened your life, and you knew for certain he'd try to carry out the threat, but that is the position I am in. Well, what are you going to do? I don't know. I'll think of something, but what about my insurance? That's up to Mr. Porter. If what you say is true, I wouldn't insure you. What do you mean, if it's true? Of course it's true. Doctor, I, I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.